Thank you, Pastor Jacques. Good morning, everybody. Thank you all for joining us uh, here in person and also with all of you online. So as Pastor Jacques said, I will share a word from the perspective of being a parent and being a spouse, being you know married with children. Um, so I'll just get right into it. I'll be doing a good amount of reading, so give me some grace with, uh, with the fact that I'll be reading off my notes and not being as cool and smooth as Pastor Jacques is walking around the stage and just giving examples from real life stories. Uh, mine is going to be a little bit more head down with the reading, but you know, we'll get through this. And I hope that uh, you will get something out of this. So the world, the flesh, and the devil have a great commission of their own to stir up discontentment. When it comes to being a spouse, a parent, contentment can easily evaporate. And it is something that I think about pretty often and retrospect on frequently to make sure that I don't allow myself to become discontented or discontented. Um, but before we get into the rest of my notes, I did want to make sure that we all level set and talk about what is it to be content? What is the definition of content or discontented or contented? So just to make sure we all level set, um, Merriam-Webster Dictionary says contentment is the quality or state of being contented. And contented is defined as feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. Another dictionary definition states the state of being mentally or emotionally satisfied with things as they are. Again, the state of being mentally or emotionally satisfied with things as they are. The thing is, we often paint an unrealistic picture of contentment in our minds. We imagine contentment looking like something it really is not. When we think of one day reaching contentment, we think of a life where our cares are limited to which meal to choose from off the menu, which beach to go walk on, or which movie to watch that night. A life where we are never overworked or bothered by anything or anybody. A life where everything is basically going according to plan, and of course it's according to our plan, right? Because that's we're engineers of our life. We want to make sure that we are in control of it all. So that's how we envision contentment being. The truth to be told, this is completely not how my life is, and I'm sure many of your lives is not like that either. We have worries, we have issues, we have pressures. We have pressures at, at work, we have pressures at home, we have pressures of, you know, being asked to preach the first Sunday of the year, you know, <laughs> because our pastor got sick. So there's pressure there. There are disappointments, there are discouragements, there are fears, there are relational challenges, employees, friends, marriage. With all that said, when I read Apostle Paul's letter in Philippians 4.11, we have sort of a role model, there, role model there that we can look at. And I'm going to kind of zone in or focus in on this statement here. Not that I speak from need. This is Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So again, not that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, I know how to get along with little, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So now, I wonder how he was able to make that claim. You know, I, was, uh, I was joking with Pastor Jacques yesterday when preparing for today, and I asked, what was Paul's secret sauce? And you know, he's, he, he, he obviously clearly says that he learned how to be content with having much and having little. And the fact that he said that means that you actually need to be mindful of, of a stay content when you have a lot, when you're wealthy, when you're rich, but also when you have nothing. Which tells you that just by getting stuff, just by getting 
a good salary, getting a good job, getting plenty of money doesn't necessarily go into solve your problems and boom, you're content and your life is going easy. I think we have plenty of examples in Hollywood, plenty of examples in, in business world where wealthy people are definitely not content. There's a lot of alcohol abuse, there's drugs, there's prescription medication that people are taking. So if any of us are lacking in, you know, in material things or things that we see that we would like to achieve, just getting to that point is still not going to fulfill the contentment or the hole that we have in our heart um, when it comes to being content. And uh, again, Paul says it very clearly. He has learned to be content when he was rich and when he was poor. I'm really glad Paul wrote these words because it tells me that, you know, that that's normal. It's normal to have to uh, adjust and do something other than just go for acquiring things to, or, you know, to make your life uh, simple, make your life uh, easy. And that brings me to my point number one, but I want to make sure that I did not miss anything up, so let me just go over my notes real quick. So the more that I think about what Paul is teaching me here, the better I can see what God has called me to. Paul is not carefree. He's not unburdened. He's not, you know, uh, he's not surrounded by trouble-free relationships. In fact, considering all Paul was going through when he wrote this, it gives me a, f a fuller picture of what contentment is by gaining insight into what it is not. Contentment does not depend on having a carefree existence. That's not point number one. Looking at Paul's letter as a whole, we see the run-up uh, to this great statement on contentment in Philippians 4.11. Take a look at Philippians 4.3. And I'm going to quote, I ask you also, help these women who have shared my struggle. Paul obviously had many struggles, because he said in here, I, I ask you also, help these women who have shared my struggle. In order to say that, he had to have struggles. In Philippians 4.6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Again, there's a lot you can read through Philippians, but for him to say, do not be anxious about anything, tells you that he obviously had some anxiousness, some anxiety about some things that were happening in his life. You know, side note, this is something that I either heard from John MacArthur or Paul Washer or someone, I can't remember who I heard this from, but it kind of resonated with me and I wanted to pass it on to you, since I have the mic and I have the podium. It's going off, uh, off notes a little bit, but I added this in here. So Jesus said, do not worry about your life, right? He said, do not worry. It's not like, you know, maybe if you have a good day, don't worry. It, no, it says, do not worry. We do really well with do not steal, do not kill, do not murder, you know, do not, uh, do not lie. We do really well with those, but for whatever reason, Jesus said, do not worry, and we don't take that as seriously as those. So we take freedom in, in worrying and being anxious about things all the time. But I think we need to repent. I think we actually need to consider this as a mandate from Jesus not to worry. And if you do fall into worry and anxiety, I think you should repent and actually pray to God that he gives you strength not to worry. I know that I, ever since I've, I've, I've thought about this, it's not a suggestion. It's a mandate from God, from Jesus, saying do not worry. I mean, the whole story about lilies in the field, God is going to take care of you. Don't worry about what you will eat. Don't worry about what you will wear. God knows all those, those needs. Even Gentiles are worried about those things. You shouldn't have to. If he can take care of the birds in the air, he will take care of you. So he's very specific, do not worry. So a little side note, since we were talking about anxiousness and anxiety um, that Paul was writing about. So after outlining this, uh, his struggles and things to be anxious over, Paul says in Philippians 4.11, let me just remind you again, now that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So the conclusion of this point one, number one is that contentment does not mean I have, a, you know, I have perfect children, a never difficult day in marriage. Contentment does not mean or depend on having a carefree existence. As we saw, Paul obviously did not have that. Contentment means I am thankful for the life God has given me, no matter the circumstances. So going to point number two. Contentment is not the absence of relational conflicts. Because again, we talked about stuff. We talked about material things. We talked about salaries and monies and, and stuff. 
you know, obviously contentment can get messed up when your relationships get shaky. You know, your marriage gets, you know, rocky, or your, your relationships at work gets, you know, a uh, 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 little bit, you know, on, the, on edge. So we're going to see some examples here. In Acts chapter 15, Paul has a major relational conflict with Barnabas. Uh, chapter 15 in Acts, it, it's, it's the whole issue, and uh, we've studied this here when we were reading through Acts at some point. It has to do with the concerning Gentiles and if they need to be circumcised or not to be saved, and how they had to take this whole issue up to the Jerusalem Council. So that was, uh, it was Paul and Barnabas going back and forth because there was this whole you know, conversation about uh, the, the converts from, from the Gentile nations having to be circumcised in order to be saved, and they had to pick this up, and Paul and Barnabas were going back and forth. And then in Galatians chapter 2, Paul had to confront Peter to his face over the, his, his hypocrisy, again, surrounding this, this topic. So it's not like Paul didn't have any issues with, with people, relational issues. He had some serious uh, conversations, serious things that are documented for us to see. So again, as he was going through these, we know that he was content. He learned how to be content. There's something that he was doing that we need to also uh, learn to do. How am I doing my time? Oop, getting close to 10 minutes. I was worried I was going to finish at three and a half, so we're doing good. Uh, okay, another point in Acts 14, Paul was stoned and left for dead by those he was sharing the gospel with. Again, how do you go out, preach the gospel, try to save people, you share the good news with them, you're trying to get them to the eternal you know, salvation, and how do they repay you? They stone you. Yet he was content. I know that if I was laying on the side of the road, stoned by those that I was reaching out to, I wouldn't feel content, I would have some thoughts. But there's something that Paul is trying to teach us, and I want to make sure that we... Uh, get this uh, for ourselves as well. So the list goes on and on with when it comes to conflict, relational conflicts, yet Paul still claims that he has learned contentment no matter what the circumstance. So conclusion to point number two is that contentment is not the absence of relational conflicts, but the presence of trust in God's sovereignty. There's one surefire way of setting your heart toward contentment in 2022, and that is by worshiping God as sovereign. Now we're getting close to identifying what the secret sauce is. We're getting close. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said it really well. The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. So this is my challenge to everyone, to every married person and every parent. Become content with the weight of the responsibilities God has given you. I know our pastor has said many times that the more responsibilities you have, the more full your life will be, or more rewarding your life can become. So as you take on additional responsibilities, this is where your life is taking on meaning. So don't shy away from the responsibilities and the things that God has put into your life. Become content with the family that God has given you. We all have challenges, but let us be content and continue working on being better today than we were yesterday. Don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to yourself yesterday. And if you can do better from what you did yesterday today, you're, you're taking a step. The trajectory is going upward. You compare yourself to others. They have their own issues to deal with. Don't worry about their issues. Worry about your own. Look at yourself from yesterday and do better today than you did yesterday. I'm not saying don't have a mentor and don't have ideals to look up to, but be careful not to compare yourself to others. So as we come to closing, I'd like to challenge you to add something to your prayer life. We've seen it's not about carefree existence. It's not about not having relational issues. But there's another really, uh, the secret sauce, as I say, I know I keep saying that, I thought it was funny, Jacques and I laughed about this, but Ecclesiastes 50.19 says, Furthermore, as for every person to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also given him the opportunity to enjoy them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. Labor. This is the gift of God. He has also given him the opportunity to enjoy them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. 
If it's a gift from God, guess what, guys? You can pray for it and you can ask to receive it. You can ask to be content. You can pray to God on a, on a daily basis to be content with, uh, with the lot that you have in your life, with the family that you have, with the children that you have, with the spouse that you have. You are able to ask for it, and God is willing to give. If he was giving it to um, Solomon wrote these words, and if it's, a, if it's a gift and if it's written, claim it. We're not going to go through all that, but you know, claim it. Pray it, believe it, and, uh, and receive it. And lastly, you know, what is our motive for what we do? We ought to do it for the glory of God, right? It's not just for our own being great. It's not about our reputation. It's not about you know, what we can get out of this life. It's all to be done for the glory of God, right? The Bible is very clear about that, that we're supposed to do everything for the glory of God. Vicky and I have been reading through the Bible. We're doing the, the, the read the Bible in one year, so I tagged along with the women. Wow, women of the word. Um, and we've been listening to it. And there's a lot of amazing examples in the Old Testament about prayer how God had one way of things happening. His will was for Hezekiah to die. You know, he told Isaiah in Isaiah 38 that go tell, go, go tell Hezekiah that he's uh, got to get his ducks in a, in a row because he's about to die. Hezekiah wasn't really having it. He was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to die. So he went before the Lord and prayed. And he prayed hard. He prayed. He humbled himself. And God told Isaiah, go tell Hezekiah. I'll give him 15 more years. Well, he was going to die. The prayer was heard. So just because your life is going a certain way, don't say, well, it must be God's will that I you know, suffer this and suffer that. Maybe, but pray. Go before God. Get on your face. Get on your knees and pray to God. He might be able to change it. We see plenty of examples in the, in the, in the Word where God heard the prayer and changed a way something was going just because God heard the prayer. So here are a few additional thoughts just to cement this in. It is very difficult to feel loved by this discontent spouse. So just a couple more points and I'll close. It is very difficult to feel loved by a discontent spouse. I know when I fall into discontentment, I look defeated, sad, and just lack the pep in my step, and my wife will definitely not feel as loved as she does when I'm content. So I definitely am speaking to myself today as I speak to you all. I'm not just talking to myself, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you, me and talking to you at the same time. It is impossible for a child to feel affirmed and cared for by a discontent parent. Again, when you're content, People around you are going to feel it. Your, your wife, your husband is going to feel it. Your kids are going to feel it. So pray about it. Ask God to give you the, um, the contentment for 2022. And I thought I had one more point that I wanted to make. But maybe this is, this is it. So in conclusion, God is sovereign. Trust, trust the Lord. Go in prayer before him. Don't think that your life has to be carefree. Don't think that your uh, life has to be relationally all fully stable. Paul clearly shows you that that's not how his life was, and he learned the secret to be content in all of it. And it is asking God to give him the contentment, trusting that God is sovereign. He's in control. And um, I think we've put that mindset for 2022. We'll be much better off, and we can learn to be content and have, uh, and have joy in our heart. I hope you got something out of this. I know I have. And Han, welcome to the stage. Thank you. So I know Andre just told me not to compare myself to others, but he set that bar pretty high, so yeah. Okay. So I'm going to be speaking on um, contentment as a single. It's something I have uh, experience in, so why not? Um, so, <laughs> it's my goal today to encourage every person listening to this to realize contentment with who God made you and with what God has blessed you with 
and is what satisfies you. Discontentment with who God made you to be and with what he gave you is what makes our life miserable and intolerable. In an attempt to encourage you towards contentment in life, I want to share with you two thoughts followed up by two questions. So first thought, singleness is not a disease and marriage is not a cure. Single people, old and young, often see singleness as being incomplete. We have such silly thoughts like, is there something wrong with me? Do other people think there's something wrong with me? What if I find, what if I never find anyone? Through all these questions and uncertainties, we forget one really important thing. An important observation to make is that in history's, history's most complete and perfect person never got married. If singleness is a lesser life to live, then Jesus wasn't complete and was less significant for being single. And if Jesus wasn't perfect and complete, then we as Christians are in a lot of trouble. You know? So what single people, young and old, often look past is that life's purpose is not to be married, but rather to glorify God, like Andre said. There are married people who do, who do not glorify God, and there are single people who do. I've seen couples who know God and glorify him, and ones that do not. So let me tell you a couple. I've seen examples where young married couple would know God, and the way they live, they just do such terrible things to each other. And then single people that love and honor God, and who waits patiently. But then I've seen single people in their discontentment, and it's not a good life to live. And then I've seen married people that bring glory and honor to God. So what do we see from all this? It's not about single, it's not about marriage. It's about how you glorify God, and if you have God in your life. This is the aim of life, the purpose of your existence, which is to bring him glory and to reflect his will. Use what you have to glorify him, whether it's your singleness or your marriage. Contentment, point number two, contentment is a biblical command, not just for singles, but for all Christians. Adam and Eve were not content with what God had given them and told them. That's why they decided to follow the advice of the snake. Adam and Eve could not have had any better circumstances, yet they were not content enough with God's command. They could see God, walk with God. They could live in a paradise and have everything they needed. They were given jobs and responsibilities, but they weren't content. I mean, when man was created, Adam and Eve, um, their jobs was to name every living creature. Um, their jobs was to uh, cultivate, uh, cultivate Eden. So, I mean, think about all the things that were up there. Um, everything God made, all the creatures he made, everything, fruits, everything you, you, you want, you could eat, but they weren't content. This is seen clearly when they ate the fruit, the forbidden fruit. So in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, it says, The serpent said to the woman, You will certainly not die. For God knows on the day you will eat from, from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, and he ate. In a sense, Adam and Eve wanted to be equal or greater than God. In the same way, discontentment with what God has given us, with what God has made us responsible over, can open us up to a lot of temptations. If only Adam and Eve were content with what God had given them. So one way to fight off a flood of temptations is in our lives is by cultivating the contentment with what God has given us. 
So look at him, look at what you have and what he has blessed you with, and be grateful and be thankful. So here are two questions to ask every time you need to, you feel the need to be critical and unthankful and discontent. Ask yourself, did you forget life could be worse? We have been raised in an era where we've been told that we deserve the absolute best. Well, if that's what you believe, then ask the next obvious question. On what basis do we deserve the absolute best? What qualifies us to deserve the absolute best? The fact that we're human? The truth is God owes us nothing. Everything we get is from him, is on the basis of his mercy. I'm not saying he doesn't love us. I'm not saying he doesn't care about our well-being. But don't get confused with a sense of that it's owed to us. It's not. Nothing is owed to us. Everything we have is because of his grace and mercy. And he will bless us as he wills. When you can renew your mind to that truth, then you can see that your life could be worse than it currently is. Most people think, believe they deserve better. Because of their faulty belief, they remain discontent with what they have. So another thing to ask yourself is, how long will this make you happy? Whether it's marriage, um, you think, if your life is discontent now, some people believe that if they get married, they'll be happier. But is that really true? And then I see people that are married that are discontent, and they think having kids will fix their life. Is that going to be true? So, and let's think about something else, like something more applicable to everybody. Um, what are things that you purchase that has kept you happy and fulfilled and content? I mean, all of us have purchased something, you know. Whether I just got a monitor. I really wanted a curved monitor, so I got it. And I used that thing for like two days before I stopped really looking at it, you know. So I, th it's, I thought it would give me some contentment, but it didn't. It just, it's the novelty that we like. So, um, so how long, for you guys, how long did you use that thing that you bought? How long did, you, did it make you happy? How long did you enjoy it? Something could possibly give you a degree of excitement when you first buy it, like a new car, a new computer gadget, or a new house, but the novelty will wear off. We are not made to be fulfilled and content with stuff other people, or with stuff or other people, but by God alone. So in conclusion, Contentment is learning to desire what you have. So I want to end by reading this verse to you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 10. But godly, godliness actually mean, is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have br brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Longing for it, ha, um, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's it. Now Pastor Jacques will talk to us.